This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hey everyone, welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Jisoo Kim. And today, I have another edition. I think you were on the last episode anyway. <laughs> I'm joined, I'm rejoined with Ganji. So I'm Ganji. What's up, Jason? What's up, everyone? What's good? Um, I'm good. As I just told you, I might be a bit under the weather. Uh, this is no bueno. But uh, last we spoke, I think we were talking about um, we're talk. The tournament hasn't started. Wait, did the tournament start, or maybe the first round of the games have started? But like now, we're entering the semifinals, and a lot has happened. And I'm gonna say this, and I I think you might feel the same way. This is by far the weirdest World Cup in terms of highly controversial outside the pitch and everything that's gone down in the organization the lead up to the tournament that we've known for the last eight years. But also, this is the most entertaining and funnest World Cup I've ever seen on the pitch so far. Like, there's been too many good storylines I've been developing. And yeah. I'm sort of like, a, I want to hate on this World Cup, but I can't because it's been really good. And part of me knew that would happen. Because I think we kind of addressed that the first time we spoke about this World Cup in, this, in particular, that um, the sport in itself and the way it's run gives you so many reasons to not like it. And to yeah. think, you know what, I'm checking out, I'm done. But then the game itself and the storylines that you're saying that develop and the emotions that we feel watching these games always at least win me back. And mm. I'm always, and I knew this would happen. And I also was like, if it didn't happen, that's when I felt like the sport might be in trouble. If this World Cup was terrible, mm-hmm. if it was like, I'm very proud that you know Africa got to host it, but the 2010 World Cup for me was not the most entertaining. Like, no, it wasn't. Yeah, football wise, it wasn't. It wasn't all that. The only nice story was Ghana. Yeah, that ended like tragically. But if it had that level of football, and it was devoid of like really crazy storylines and crazy things happening. I feel like the sport would have taken a hit. Not that it would have died, but it would have taken a hit where we're like, okay, now let's ask ourselves, why did we invest so much of our time, energy, and you know, resources, some people, into mm-hmm. hosting this thing that cost some people's lives, was in a very controversial area, led to so much divisiveness in the world, and on top of it, the spectacle was terrible. But that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> uh for me it was I think uh one thing I did enjoy was that seeing Canada and Wales play because Wales hadn't been in the World Cup in sixty four years or something like that, and then Canada hadn't been in thirty six years. So you had like pretty much two countries that hadn't been in the World Cup forever that have pretty much no World Cup experience, you know, get to see those fans sing their national anthems for the first time at that stage. I guess it's a moment of patriotism if you if you're into that. Um, or for me, I I like kind of seeing the cultures at play. So like when I hear the Welsh people sing their national anthem, it's not so much about like yeah, Wales is the greatest country on the planet because they definitely don't think like that. It's more like we get to finally ex you know how do I say um we finally get to express ourselves of who we are through the song. You know what I mean? Like it's like this is the first time we get to sing the Welsh national anthem globally that everyone's actually gonna be like oh that's what Welsh sounds like, kind of, you know, like that's just an example. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool, not necessarily a national anthem, but like countries that 
for the first time in a long time be like this is our time let us you know panama had that moment last world cup in 2018 where they scored their first goal and they celebrate as if they won the match and i'm like that's a vibe they still lost but that's that's nice um but yeah, I think the biggest... Okay, let's get into it. The biggest one, biggest shock for everyone is Morocco and how they're killing everyone, beating one colonizer at a time. I'm just so... I couldn't be happier for Morocco. I'm I'm team Morocco right now, honestly. I'm, 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 I'm riding that bandwagon wave. I mean, there's like... This thing that Morocco is doing is unheard of in many ways because, for one, to say that they were underdogs, the only person I saw riding for them before the World Cup was Eto'o. Like yes. he said, it would be a Cameroon Morocco final. And people looked at him like he was crazy for having mentioned both those countries in a way where they're supposed to do anything of substance, of substance within the <clears throat> tournament, right? And he, he, he was right to a certain extent because, to a large extent, because Morocco is in the semifinals and they've been absolutely solid because I think one goal conceded, scored by an own goal against Canada. Mm-hmm. But so. I think the tightest defense in the World Cup by far. Yeah. Um, and they've given us such like a story, you know, like Peter Drury had this whole thing. Did you read his or Oh, it's so good. The Casablanca and Robot and, and yeah. Tangiers, Tears and Tears in the Tangiers. I was like, this guy is, is Wow, amazing. yeah. So yeah, they've they've brought out such emotions. And like it's funny, sometimes I feel like teams play with a pressure or others play with a certain like pride and like duty mm-hmm. and if you think of Morocco if they played with pressure as opposed to kind of this thing that actually pushes them forward they would choke because they're representing the African continent mm-hmm. the Arab world mm-hmm. and the Muslim world mm-hmm. that's like 3 billion people yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure yeah. and also I read something that was interesting or I think I heard it during a game is that for the first time in a long time at least as far as I can remember, the look of the people who are attending the games is very different. Yeah. Because during the Morocco-Portugal game, it looked like it was a home game for Morocco. Oh, yeah, 100%. Which is crazy because it's Portugal. So just the fact that they have Cristiano Ronaldo, which is something I'm sure you'll want to address. (laughs) Yeah. You think that the casuals and everyone that's not Moroccan would be there, but it's like, the Middle East and they're from North Africa so I guess it's closer to them yeah more accessible it's never been made this accessible for them mm-hmm. so it's beautiful to see that uh, it's truly like the World Cup it belongs to the world and not just the same five nations yeah and I think I guess that's a one silver lining of having a Qatar where it is closer for it definitely feels perhaps closer for some African nations and Asian nations where it's perhaps easier to get to for fans. Well, I mean, we can argue that if it was in Europe, African fans would probably find it, have an easier time getting there, uh, geographically speaking, because most of these African countries tend to be North African or West African. But like there's something about Qatar where I, like, just in every game, it just seemed like it was more dominant by the smaller nations. So you saw a lot of Asian fans and a lot of African fans, a lot of Arab fans. Uh, and you also, I mean, Argentinian fans. Okay. First of all, I think this World Cup showed me one thing is that Argentinian fans show up. It doesn't matter where in the world they're going to show up as if they're still going to the Bombonera or some or some sort. 
Like it is really, I'm really impressed by the Argentina fans because like every World Cup we love watching Argentina fans. But for whatever reason, this time around, I'm like, wow, you guys like came out as if it was 2014 Rio. Like you were, you know, you guys showed up and I and I love that. But this, uh, yeah, this Morocco side is special. Uh, there's a Montrealer Nets who I love. Montreal, I just, I'm, I think, I think Canada is supporting Morocco because of, especially Montreal. We're all supporting Bonu because he's from the city, and I think that's really awesome. But then, okay, well, you talked about Portugal. Um, I, I don't know why you wouldn't play Cristiano Ronaldo. I understand he worked well with Switzerland, and I understand uh, Ramos, Gonzalez, Ram, Gonzalez, Gonzalez, Ramos. I understand he's a beast. He's impressive. But a lot of my teammates from my like one of my group chats are like, this guy's gonna be like a one hit wonder when it comes to World Cups. He's gonna be, he's gonna have an amazing World Cup, but after that, he's not gonna be as good because you know he just had that Happens one. Game. Rodriguez, Ochoa, yeah, Ochoa, oh yeah, especially Ochoa. Yeah, uh, I saw I saw meme Ochoa is pretty much like the Mariah Carey Christmas song for the World Cup. <laughs> really here, yeah. <laughs> it's like you just see him in Nets or Mexico. You're like, oh, it's gonna be a long day. You're yeah. gonna. But uh, how, but did you watch any of those semi uh, quarterfinal games? So I watched the first day. Uh, uh, so Croatia, Brazil, and Argentina, Holland. That was good. Um, but just about the Ronaldo thing, um, I've seen a lot of backlash on Fernando Santos mm-hmm. about him not starting Ronaldo. Um, but I also feel like if you won a game six one. And a player is red hot having scored a hat trick. Uh, it feels like the big controversy was the first game versus, uh, um, sorry, Switzerland when he didn't play him. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know many coaches that would win a game 6 1, have any player, even if he may be a one tournament wonder, score a hat trick and then have him go on the bench for someone that hasn't been playing all that well. And has a bad track record in knockout stages. Maybe that doesn't mean anything, but it's like, and it's not as mobile. Uh, um, can't give that, you know, doesn't have the physicality that maybe he had at some point over 90. So, yeah, I, I mean, I've heard Figo kind of go at him. I heard Georginia. Georginia? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dan Ronaldo's partner. Oh, Georgina. Sense. Georgina, yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. But I feel like uh, Portugal didn't show up. And mm-hmm. Bruno Fernandes and Joao Felix, like all those guys who are, you know, normally certified match winners, Bernardo Silva, they didn't show up. And Morocco was able to hold on. So I think hindsight kind of makes people think, hey, of course, you play Ronaldo. And it's like, that's his last international game on such a large stage. That it's like, yeah, he should have started for sure. But it's like, I don't know. I'd be hard pressed to find a coach that would bench someone that scored a hat trick before. Yeah, yeah, but I, I like. But also, Ronaldo's a big game player. I think that's why. I, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of back and forth, and I think most Portuguese fans would agree that Ronaldo ought to have started. But it's easy to say that in hindsight because most of us were quite confident, saying like, you know what, we've seen this before. When Ronaldo's not playing, Portugal tends to play better, more as a team. They tend to move better as a unit. But in this game, when you have a Moroccan side that's defending deep and breaking on a counter, you probably want someone like Ronaldo to 
just clutch it out and just, you know, score a goal out of nothing, just like a random bicycle kick or something like that, because he could do it, you know? And I, I don't know. Uh, I, I watched the second half because I kind of couldn't wake up for whatever reason. It was, it was a Saturday. I was like, oh, I want to sleep in or it was a Sunday. I forget. But, uh, but the, the net, yeah, that was a memorable game. But the England France game, it was really weird. Like the ref, the, not, not the game itself, but the refereeing was really suspect. I don't know about you, but there were some calls where I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Like you shouldn't be refing at this level. You know what I mean? I, I didn't watch it, but I, I, you didn't I watch like, it. Oh, I okay. Like, Responsible. I was working and because I knew it tortured me to like follow it, I just left my phone and put it far away from me. I only checked the score like for the last five minutes because mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to do that to myself. But no, <laughs> but I heard, I heard a lot of um, people saying that um, the ref, the, the referee was questionable. Oh. You know, questions of like possible corruption and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which, you know, is not completely out of the realm. But I also have a theory. I'm a boxing fan. Yeah. And they say you need to knock out the champ. Like, you can't have a good decision. No, you can't. In the world champion. Put his lights out. You know, mm. so I feel like England. And also, if Harry Kane scores that penalty, I don't think we're talking about this as much. No. I, no, because like, then it would be all forgiven, kind of. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, that was a little obstacle, a little hurdle. Free was a bit sus, but we managed yeah. to overcome, and now it's coming home, and ha, ha, ha. You know what? The English yeah. talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah. I was so happy. <laughs> but the, the what's funny is that the corruption talk, I had some, like, one of my friends, she's not a big football fan, but she's, like, very proud to be French. Not, like, that by no means one of those right-wing, like, nationalists. Not like that. But, you know, like, as the average person would be to be proud being French or proud being German or whatever. Yeah. Um, I remember talking. She was like, I put I put on my story where I'm like the refereeing of this, of this quarterfinals, all games, maybe not so much the Portugal game, but all those games, very very suspect, um, or it was like relatively speaking suspect. Even Argentina, they won against Holland, against the Netherlands, and they were still complaining about the refs. Which I was like, you must have been a horrible ref when the winning team is saying this was not good refereeing, or yeah, anyway, or they felt like they shouldn't have gone to penalties, but whatever, but. As someone who watched an England France game back, like from the first, from the national anthem to the cel- post game celebrations, oh, there was a lot of calls where I'm like, on either side, I was like, there's a lot of calls you, sh- you should have, especially for the English. Like, there's a lot of calls that should have been called. Like, uh, I remember this one, the big one where they're reviewing if it should be a penalty in the box, but I felt like that wasn't, the- that shouldn't be the question. The question is, was that a foul outside the box? Because it was clear that the challenge was done outside the box, but they're reviewing. They went to VAR to see a penalty. What I'm like, why are you looking for the penalty? It's super clear that it didn't happen. It happened like outside the box, and he fell in the box. Like that should have been dealt with. Just that's a clear free kick at most outside the box. I don't know why you don't want to give that. Or there's a lot of fouls where, uh, oh yeah, there's just a lot of fouls where I'm like, how? Why is that not being called? Where like. There's just a blatant hand on shoulder and just shoved, you know? And I'm like, bro. And then, Or there'll be times where Jude Bellingham was losing his mind on the ref because he would do these shoulder to shoulder, win the ball off the guy, it's clean, and then the ref would call it a foul almost every third, fourth. 
challenge that Jude Bellingham would do. He would do the ref would call it against him. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, that was fine. I, I don't know. It was just, I got to rewatch that game because that was really suspect, that refereeing. It did not make sense. But, um, but yeah. No, sorry. What were you going to say? No, nothing. Uh, it was just, no, it's but very it's sus. Like, there's two things that I can think of. Um, last year, two years ago, I started listening to a podcast by a guy called Michael Lewis. I think maybe butcher his name. I, I, I often do that. I think he's the one who wrote Moneyball. Not the one behind the concept of Moneyball, but the, oh, one the who author wrote the book about exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah. That eventually became movies. So he had a podcast called Against the Rules, and he had a whole season which was about people being against referees. And it started with him watching his son play basketball in the local, like, you know, YMCA, the equivalent of like a YMCA league. And his son being so, like, visibly upset with the referee at any given opportunity. And he said that his son is very mild-mannered, but then when it came to basketball and referees, he completely loses shit, you know? Yeah. And he said that he probably got that from watching his favorite players who always lose their shit. With NBA, they're always cussing at the refs. And I think basketball is even kind of like, they flop and stuff like that. But that just started maybe five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. We've been seeing simulations and flopping in soccer for 30 years, you know? Oh, God knows how long. And people yeah. cussing at the ref, like it's, it's almost culture at this point that refs yeah. get abused. Yeah. So I'm wondering how much of it is like, was the refereeing really that bad? Or is there like some sort of phenomenon where we're all, we all hate to be told like, nah, man, you're wrong. Like my yeah. call is my call. You may have your way of seeing it, but at the end of the day, there's no longer maybe this notion of like, I don't agree. But I respect it. You know what I mean? I, I see what you mean. Like, fuck you. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. My issue is that I'm just very suspicious about this World Cup and how things are being right played so. out. Because right so. it's, I get a vibe that there are favorites. Going back to my friend, where we're having this conversation, she was like, What makes you think that uh, France didn't deserve that one? I was like, France deserved it. They were incredible. This French team without three or four or five key players are still so good. This French side is still really stupid good. Like, they're playing like champions, right? Giroud, who no, everyone just thought, oh, you know, he's just a guy up there. No, Giroud is a baller. He's killing it. He's like watching him off the ball and making those runs and just being always in a dangerous position. I'm like, that is a smart player. He reminds me of Raul, if Raul was that big. Yeah. You know? Like, he's the old school, like... Old school striker. Like, you know, these guys who don't run that much, but... Always no. the right place at the right time. But that's all you want in the number nine. Like Benzema's the opposite, where he's a little more flashy on the ball, and you know, you he dribbles, you know, kind of like um, interlinking, but from deep. Yeah, like Benzema, you could tell it's like there's a lot of street soccer in his style. You know what I mean? You you he's see a number that number ten almost like he almost like a number ten with it, yeah. And that's it. And and she was saying like, why don't we deserve the win? It's like it's not that you don't deserve the win. It's just that I feel like there's favoritism for France, and they're like, what well, makes you say that? I was like, well, according to a Netflix documentary and uh, and, and uh, the Qatar-France relation, like connection to Salora, so forth. She was like, but she was like, but why does Qatar, uh, why does France need Qatar's approval? Why does Qatar, why does France need Qatar as opposed to Qatar needs us? Because she was like, we're France as a country. And I'm like, fair enough. I was like, oh, that's totally fair. She's like, well, you should be reframing it as if they're trying to buy us out. And I'm like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> she kind of flipped it. She was like, they're trying to influence our, our, our domestic policies, our foreign policies by, by, I guess, through football, you know, through PSG, or maybe perhaps she's, I don't think she would agree with what I'm saying, but this is how I understood what she was trying to say. And is, it seems like they're trying to solidify that relationship between Qatar and France, perhaps through this way. But at the end of the day, who really knows? I could just be making things up. I have no idea. I don't know. Um, but then she flipped it. She was like, but Morocco, an Arab country, wouldn't Qatar want to support a fellow, fellow Arab Muslim country? And I was like, well, that's also fair. So I don't know. Maybe Morocco, France is something that the Qataris are like, that's what we like. That's what we want to see. That's our final. You know, which I was like, well, fair enough. They are return on investment. Like, ooh, yeah. a guy <laughs> but you know, like, if we're going to go really conspiracy theory hypothesis is that Qatar is isolated in their region. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the UAE don't really mess with them. Yeah. You know, they had their little beef a few years ago that so like now they're like completely ostracized from their neighbors and things like that. Yeah. So they do seek partners outside of just within their world. Yeah. And also maybe because of that ostrac because they've been ostracized by other countries within their region, maybe their connection to Morocco isn't that strong because maybe Morocco I mean like you could really yeah. get into that and like really start building and start thinking that ooh, there's uh, so much evidence proving the connection. And yeah, Qatar has invested I don't know how much in PSG. And I guess it's a bit of, you know, I scratch my back, I scratch yours. Yeah. Definitely out of the realm. But um, in my opinion, it, 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 it's hard to prove these things. It's easy to, to you know, because it's like any conspiracy theory. Even if I show you 1,500,000 uh, pieces of evidence against uh, conspiracy, mm-hmm. people will hold on to that one thing and be like, but... Still, yeah. you can't answer this one thing, yeah. which is legitimate. But, but um, it's but it's also annoying because sometimes, like the, I appreciate the spirit of conspiracy where it's always questioning, even questioning the fact itself, which is great. Sometimes, like yeah, like how truthful is this produced fact? You know, mm-hmm. we can go to the weeds of it. But then it gets annoying where you prove you show all the evidence. It comes from legitimate sources of people who have no motivation to deceive you. And then they're always like, yeah, but like, I still have to question everything. It's like, no, stop. The truth is before you. Like, you, you don't need yeah. to go any further. That's kind of where conspiracy theorists turn me off. It's like mm-hmm. they just don't want to. There's no, they will never acquiesce to reality at times. And I'm like, bro, just accept the fact that the world is way more boring than you make it out to be. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. And people aren't as conniving. I think people are more opportunists where they can yeah. find an opportunity and make the most of it. Conspiracy theories often imply that there are few people who are able to just manipulate the whole world and everyone else is just kind of blind and dumb to it. And to a certain degree, some people do have power, for sure. Yeah. But I don't think that it's necessarily uh, a group of people just there and they're just kind of getting their way. You know, so I uh, don't think you have the answers, Kanye West. I know. <laughs> um, no, Kanye definitely has no answers. Because, yeah, because he's really tapped into that market of people who just question everything and who will. Mm-hmm. I think the questioning, questioning, being cynical is you question things in order to get to the truth. Yes. Some people are just cynical and happy to be cynical. Yeah. Um, it's just they just stay in there and then, you know, getting to the truth is not really that important anymore. It's just I'm a trans position. Yeah. And you can never tell me otherwise. Yeah, that's sad. Um it's sad because you're, you're living your life with, with visors on and it's uh 
it's too bad and terrible but, visors like who wants to live a world in a world where you actively suspicious of everything and everyone that, that, that and those and those people are vibe kills and i'm like oh, don't come to well don't come to everybody do you know the planet is actually flat i'm like no stop it it's not flat do you know actually like it's not that's funny like, anymore there was a time where i was like what <laughs> okay cool let me hear you out huh? what okay fair but now it's just like oh, you bro. can't be this dumb bro like you know what i mean yeah uh, it, I, it's, yeah. I, have, I have a question for you. What do you think of Neymar uh, in World Cups? Uh, and what do you think of Neymar's, this is a big question, maybe his legacy as a player? And how does this World Cup fit into your narrative of him? Because I have strong opinions on that. Something tells me this World Cup is not, his attitude coming into this World Cup doesn't feel the same as the 2018 World Cup. You know what I mean? 2018 World Cup, he was at the absolute peak of his career. He was like 27, I think. So he was like absolute peak of his career. He was just like, this is the guy that's going to tear it up. And to be fair, I didn't watch him closely in 2014. No, I didn't actually watch him closely. 2014, 2018, and, and the 2022, you can't keep your eyes off Neymar because he's so such an entertaining player and he's just going to make things happen like that goal against Croatia I'm like that is Neymar that is Neymar right there that is why you buy him as a club this is what you as a fan this is why you watch him it's just those split second moments of brilliance where you're like oh this guy is among the pantheon of Brazilian greats like Ronaldo Ronaldinho Kaká Cafu whoever and I think sometimes his attitude gets in the way of everything I think his documentary makes him look weirder. Um, I, I his documentary is weird, and I think, and I think part of me, he's trying to knock on that door of Brazilian greats, but he'll only they'll they'll keep the door open for him, but he'll never cross through. You know what I mean? Like that exclusive room of just Brazilian players that are just the Joga Bonito generation of Brazilian players that made the entire world non-Brazilian people say, "I'm a Brazil fan." You know what I mean? And I I think Neymar is desperately want to get into that room, but I don't think he'll ever get in. Yeah. I I'm I'm I think he's one of the most frustrating players that I've seen. <laughs> like if you think about it, and I'm sure you have as well, I followed him since Santos. Yes, yeah, same. He was one of the rare, like he was the first guy that like I didn't see. I never saw him play a live game for Santos except when there was a Club World Cup. Wait, uh, hold that thought. He's like the first famous... He's the first football player that became famous off YouTube. I, I, I was, I was going to say that. Like, I feel like he's really that because when he was at Santos, barely, very few of us actually watched his games live. Mm-hmm. But we would watch his highlights. Oh, the day God. afterwards, we would watch all the streets. I'll never forget all that stuff. And he was out of this world. But... I think, and his, his, his documentary also builds on that type of persona where his documentary was like an ad for him. And yeah. it was almost like he didn't play a team sport. You know, no. it's like almost like he was a it's team about him. player. It was, yeah, it's like, and he, you know, so he makes things about himself. Uh, Ronaldo does that a lot mm. off the field, but sometimes on the field, he can actually like, contribute to a certain degree to the team thing you know what I mean like I think his teams don't win as much as they have if he's that much of a black hole and takes and sucks away too much from them. yeah but Neymar 
I actually think that sometimes when he plays in a team, he's better as a lieutenant as opposed to captain. A, yeah, even like on a technical level, I think he he's someone that's better off when he's deferring to someone kind of older than him. Mm. And all he has to do is kind of be the linchpin, you know, be that final spark but to kind of get the thing going. Like Messi versus the Netherlands, that was like one of the craziest, like, let me get us to the finish line displays I've seen. Because yeah. even just his assist was out of this world. Oh, my God. It was so stupid good. It, it, I was watching the game live, and from that vantage point, I couldn't see the pass. No. So I can't imagine him with four Dutch players around him. The pressure, um, the expectation to find that pass is just out of this world. And then he put away his penalty. He's been missing a lot of penalties. Mm. He still took it. You know, he could have said, oh, let me give it to some, you know what I mean? Because he, yeah. he's missed one in this World Cup, right? Versus um, uh, uh, Chesney. Uh, Poland, Poland. Exactly. Yeah. Versus Chesney. So that's like a real, uh, that's a real leader in the sense that in the game, maybe not what he'll say, but in his game, like, yeah. And he always does the right thing. Like, Neymar versus Chris frustrating me so much. I even like, didn't tweet it, but like I left the Instagram note saying he's a liability, of course, before he scored the goal. Yeah. Because Croatia are not fast. Gavridol, Gavridol? Guardiol? Yes, sorry. I always forget how to pronounce the name. Yeah. Um, he's the only fast person really uh, in, in between the, the, the center backs, right? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, what's my man's name? Uh, Lovren? Lovren is getting on, you know. He's older now like 35 or something like that. You know, yeah. He's never been a fast guy. He just kind of reads the game well yeah. and is aggressive and very brave in his uh, play. Sometimes you would see Neymar get the ball and literally stop the game. Like, stop it. Like, hold it down. Like, And it's like, when you have guys like Vinicius, when you have guys like Anthony, like Rafinha, it needs to be kind of rock and roll. You need to mm-hmm. run at these guys at full pace. And then, like, you know what I mean? Like, don't slow the game down and allow the Brozovic, the Kovacic, the Modric to kind of get back into position and to like uh, be able to provide numbers and block off potential uh, one-twos. He managed to do it once in the 106th minute, but before then, like I was just like, you guys have the most excited. Like when he plays with Mbappe, there are games where he just gets the ball, pivots, boom, belts it like from Mbappe. Vinicius and Rafinha can both do the same thing. And I was just like, why aren't you guys going at them? Like, why aren't you guys playing to your strengths? You know? Mm. As soon as you slow the game down, Croatia love that. That yeah. they play a slow game. You know? Between mm, Marjorie Kovacic point. and Brozovic, they'll lose the game only twice in the whole game. They'll lose the balls are only twice. So why play in the, play, why play to their rhythm and to their game? No, turn it into a and you can see they didn't have like the Samba feel that they had against no. Korea. Because, of course, Korea was attacking more, so they're more vulnerable to the counter. But it's like, where was that enthusiasm? Where was that, like, we can smell blood and we're going for it? I didn't see that from them or Portugal. It's weird. I think I, I have a theory. I have an underlying theory that the countries, it seems like with this generation of players, I think the generation of players we watched growing up, they've, this is what it seems like, they've dealt with that pressure well they rose to the occasion and they and they fed off that pressure that's what it seemed like with the older generation of players this generation of players and I listen I could be out of pocket saying this but 
what I've noticed that the countries that have the most national pressure on them can't seem to cope. Like when Brazil played Korea, there was no pressure. It's Korea. We this this is this is an easy dub for us. This is an easy one, which it was, and they played beautifully. And Korea obviously had no pressure, but they just knew we're playing Brazil. Like this is we'll take our chances. We have good players. We have a Portuguese coach that under that definitely understands Brazilian football more than us, the regular Korean player. And they lost, which is fine. Uh, that's kind of like what's supposed to happen, if we're being honest. And then they go against Croatia, some uh, finalist at the last World Cup. A lot of experience. Those players who were there were still there, but older, but a lot of experience. And they knew that they seemed to have known, like, okay, we just got to dig in deep and encounter. And that's kind of what they did. And they worked out. And I felt like when, Bra- when they equalized, something in the Brazilian mentality went like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? They're just like, oh, no, we thought we had this in the bag, but no, it's not over. And it kind of demoralized them. Because now you have to deal with that psychological pressure of like, oh man, they bounce back. Now it's now it's back to square one. And then everyone at home is going to eat us alive, which they definitely did. The Brazilian media, our fans are in the stadium. They're going to eat us alive. Everyone's just going to be upset. And we're just still recovering from the 7-1 loss to Germany. Because that's honestly, I feel like they're still recovering from that. Until they actually play and beat Germany 4-0, 5-0 or whatever, then they'll be good. And I think that's what happened to Brazil. It's just that they're all superstars that play for clubs that have high pressure, but they play in leagues that they're going to win no matter what, you know? So my question for them is, you're, I don't think you're used to losing. Are you, you know what I mean? Like, it's if you learn how to lose, you become better winners. That's always been my philosophy. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's not only if you learn how to lose, but sometimes I think if you learn how to lose, you end up also learning how to win ugly. Yes. And learn how to like itch out a victory. And it's all about like, being pretty. France last World Cup were not pretty a lot of the games. They no. just managed to etch like just I remember that game versus Belgium. And the way Hazard played was like one of the best individual uh displays I've seen in a football game ever. Yeah. It was unplayable. Unplayable. I remember that. France weren't yeah. that good. Scored one goal, shut the shit down and said, All right, that's it. Uh, same thing with Croatia. Croatia had one shot on target that game on the 117th minute. <laughs> it was a deflected goal. Yeah. That's crazy. And it's funny because Croatia's a team that doesn't panic. No. Canada learned that the hard way. Oh, yeah. We were like, oh, Belgium, we almost fucked them up. All right, now we're going to go for Croatia, these old guys, and we're going to come at them. We scored the first goal. Great goal. No panic. No yelling. You can't even, you know, that eye sometimes you see like yeah. the camera's looking at a player and just like, uh oh, this guy's gone. <laughs> Marquinhos. I love Marquinhos, but he's a liability. God bless him. When that, <laughs> when that own goal went in, I was like, all right. Yeah, it's over. When I mean, your center back is looking a little bit shaky, shaky, mm, it's not going to be a good day. And he's a, he's a leader of the team. He's the captain of PSG, mm-hmm. one of the biggest clubs in the world. He's, he's often underperformed at PSG, and especially at big moments. Yeah. So if he's if his confidence goes, then it's like and I was looking at the Brazil team, I was like, when Neymar would slow the ball down, if I was uh, Casemiro, or if I was I don't know who else, I'd be on his ass. I'd be like, bro, move that thing faster. Yeah. Because that's the advantage that we have. Is that if Vinicius, by the grace of God, just manages to cut inside or outside, 
they're never going to catch him. Yeah. They're going to have to foul him. And they can't foul him like that. That's beat twice. Yeah. What do we get? We get a penalty, get a good position free kick, or we get the other guy sent off. Yeah. You know? But it's like, I did not see. And I think some, some, some teams also thrive on momentum. So when they're playing Korea and they're, you know, really dominant, they build on that. So yeah. when they're playing a team that's not shaking or nothing like that, like, ooh, they have a hard time getting into that in the flow yeah. thing. But um, I feel like we haven't talked about the Argentina game, which is no, we're getting to that point. I've ever seen in my life. Uh, let's jump into it because, like, I'm happy for Croatia. Uh, a little anecdote: I was at work, and then do you know how there's like a little food court right in front of the restaurant? Yeah. Um, uh, I love all the neutral fans. All the neutral fans who aren't necessarily footy fans, they just like watching World Cup, which I think is the majority of people. Which I I love the fact that the those people are people are always. I don't watch soccer, but I watch the World Cup. And I'm like, I like you. Like, you're open-minded to watch something that is fun and beautiful. Um, they were all Croatia fans. They were like, yeah, Brazil lost. They were all, they're all supporting the underdogs. And then the Netherlands-Argentina Netherlands game, they're, they're watching on a TV in another restaurant where they were like, the TV was, was uh, live and direct. And we had like a 10-second delay on our laptop or a 20-second delay. And then we're like... I think it was penalties. Yeah, it was penalties. And basically, I was like, who won? And he was like, uh, Argentina won. I was like, how do you know? He's like, look behind you. And I look behind me, and I just see all the people watching that World Cup, the, the penalty take, uh, the penalty shootouts. I just saw all of them leave quietly because they wanted Netherlands to win. And I was just laughing. I'm like, wow, that's hilarious. Because if the Netherlands had won, I would have heard them screaming. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, okay, I like this crowd. They're all about the, 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 the little guys. I was like, that's cool. But that game, Man, Messi. Okay, second half Messi, we can argue that he kind of like disappeared. Or maybe or maybe Netherlands did a better job of like hushing him. But yo, that first half, like you said, that pass, man, I remember just looking at everyone. I was like, I don't think you guys understood how crazy that pass was. It caught everyone. It caught me off guard. I'm like, there's no way he'd done that. I was like, there's no way he just pulled that off. Ugh, it was oh my god, that was beautiful. That was really beautiful. Insane. And then Veghorst, I, I, I always butcher names. Yeah. The guy who ended up scoring two goals. Two goals off the bench. Was booked while he was on the bench. That's the type <laughs> of game that was. He was booked before he came on. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> no, I didn't. I was, yeah, because he was talking shit or he was like uh, just yeah, yelling. Haunting or something. Mm. Referee gave him a yellow card before he came on. When he <laughs> came on, the ref was like, this is an odd one. He's already been booked. <laughs> it's like, what, you want to you play that game? <laughs> Take oh, this yeah. gamble. Oh, and then Paredes funny. shooting the ball into the bench. The bench coming out like they're going to kill yeah. him. Van Dijk bumping into him. Yes. That's when I was like, people complain about the ref a lot, but I was like, I like what he did there because he's like, you got a, a lot of red cards. Yeah. And I like the fact that he was like, okay, you guys are really not liking each other right now. I'm going to let you guys blow off some steam. Yeah. And then we get back into football. Yeah. Like, let's be grown folks about this. Like, all right, yeah. let off some steam. But remember that you're here to play a game. So, I'm not going to like punish you guys beyond like where it costs you the game, maybe. Mm. But I'm going gonna, gonna to give two of you a warning because he could have given uh, yellow cards to everyone. Yeah. And I'm sure some people already had yellow cards. Mm. So they'd have been sent off. But he's like, no, let me not do that. And okay, it was, it was very tenacious, the game and everything like that. But it built to the drama. And then that last second free kick, like I can't describe to you. I was, I was watching it. Uh, Cafe Diplomatico in oh yeah 
in Toronto. Yeah, you know it. I know, yeah. And um, we even went there together when you were here. Oh, it did. Does that have like a plaque in front? And we had like pasta late at night or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I like that spot. Yeah, it's a cool spot. Yeah, it's cool, old school, like Italian spot. Yeah. So you know they're going to be watching it, showing the games. 100%. It's the last kick of the game. A lot oh, of the people shit. there were for Holland. It was 50 50. And I just remember, like, there's a friend of mine that I was with who was really for Holland. I was for Argentina. And it was the last kick of the game. He had to go to work. Oh. So he just <laughs> no. kind of stood up, like, okay, man, like, going to hit the wall, then that's that. And then when they passed it and they put it in, like, we didn't know what to do with ourselves. Yeah. People went insane. Like, it was like the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Especially, you play, you play ball, bro. Yeah. What are the chances of that, like, working out in the last second of a quarterfinal game in the World Cup? I, I just, the audacity to pull it off. Trust the Dutch to make a good pass. That's always been my model. Always trust them to make a good pass. But to do so in a highly trafficked area where they're all there, it goes right to the left of the wall. And he was marked Vergorst. Anyway, he was marked yeah. by like one or two players, but it just happened so quickly. And Argentina did not. I, this is what I love about it. It was the element of surprise because the Argentina defense did not expect that. They're just like, wait, what? What just happened? And then boom, goal, clean finish. And I was like, oh, brilliant. I was like, that's smart. I was like, th- this game just had good passing. That's how I could say it. Just really it's, great passing. Was, but just the, the audacity of it is so crazy because. If they pull it off like they did, they're geniuses. And yeah. we always remember that for being genius. If they mess it up, they're the biggest dummies of the world. That's what you do. Like, yeah. You had one opportunity. And then, you know, like the first guy, there's a guy who plays for, I forget, Bergeis? Bergeis? Bergwijn? No, uh, he plays for Amsterdam, for Ajax. He used to be a PSV. I forget. Is it a Bergwijn? Uh, no, Bergwijn is the guy who used to play for Tottenham, right? But then he come from PSV. Oh, is it is it is it B E R G H U I S? Burgess, yeah, I don't yeah. know how to pronounce it. Steven Burgess, yeah, he's yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, he used to be PSV and now he's at. Oh no, he used to be a Feyenoord. Oh, oh, Robin Van Persie's from there. Feyenoord, yeah. Um, anyways, so he shot uh, into the wall before, mm. and people got excited, thinking, "Oh, this one is going to go in," because apparently he's a very good free kick, free kick kicker. And then I saw that some other player went to take it. So I was like, oh, anyway, they're changing it up maybe. But to do that, and like the pass is perfect because Vergors or the, the, the big guy, he had, he positioned his body where he took it out on his right foot and had enough time just to pivot and shoot. Yeah. But also he's strong enough to put his hand out and like block off the defender. Yeah. So that, I mean, they must have practiced that like hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Because it didn't like, it's not like it was on his wrong side and had to like pivot the wrong way or it wasn't like it went onto his left foot so he had to kind of like push it towards his right and no, it was on his right foot, controls it, slices it and went and it went in so slowly. Yeah. I think that was like, what? That actually happened? But uh, no, and then like the penalties, like apparently the Dutch players were taunting every Argentinian player coming out. <laughs> of course they were. And oh. that's why like at the end you see like Otamendi putting his hand yeah. to his ears and Messi getting so petty. But I I kind of love I love that because like you usually see that club level. You don't see that in international. Unless it's like Argentina or Brazil or some sort. But like it's I loved it because like at that moment I realized like, oh, Argentina and Netherlands is a proper derby. It's a proper derby that like not a derby, like a, a classical match that is not marketed or is not appreciated enough where they're like 
for every time these two teams went at each other, it's always been a crazy game. It's always been a tight game. I think 2014, they Argentina knocked them out. Did they play again in 20? No, 2018, Netherlands didn't make it. Um, 2014, 2010, I don't think they played each other 2010. I guess the, the one before that must, must have been the 90s or 80s. But Ooh, there was one uh, 1998 when uh, Bergkamp scored that goal where he controls it with his right. Oh, yeah. Nutmegs the guy and yeah. then slices outside of the boot. Out uh, to corner. the top corner. Yeah. That's and I a... think also the 1978 final. I only know that because they were showing that before the game. Uh, the first time Argentina won it, it was versus the Netherlands in the final. I think oh. Johan Cruyff lost that game. You see, okay, you see, this is like the type of rivalry that it's not obvious, but when you look at the history, you're just like, oh, these these countries have been added for time. <laughs> They're... Yeah, because I think geographically there's nothing linked. You know, so that's it. Not even historically. Like there's very like, and that's what I love about it is because like. What makes this matchup so interesting is that both their styles are different yet similar. Highly technical. They're highly technical teams and they both countries rely a lot. Like a lot of players in both countries play a lot of street football. And so that's when you get that urban technicality that comes in and you just see that and it's fun. And then they and they also they're they export more players than they keep within. And it's I don't know, it's just like I see a lot of similarities and I'm like, of course, this would be a good matchup because even the way they played has completely influenced the regions they, they're from. Mm-hmm. Like, it's impossible to talk about European football without, without bringing up this, what the Dutch, this is how much the Dutch changed up everything, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, a, oh, it was a crazy good game. That was a really good game. I feel bad for the Dutch, but it seems like it seems like it's Messi's tournament. I think realistically, it's France, France, uh, Argentina final, but I kind of want to see Croatia beat them. I I would love to see Modric kind of get the World Cup. Yeah, and I think I, I was just thinking about that the other day. Um, Croatia is actually a big footballing nation because they got the semis of 1998 and. Only lost to France by like one goal scored by I think Lyon Thuram. Mm-hmm. So it's like I think they've they've always been a, a football nation and they've always produced. But I think that there's a lot that can be learned about this Croatian team because yeah. if you have the basics right, then you can actually win games. Mm. Um, I think this World Cup has been a lot about superstars. Yeah, um, or the narratives have been around superstars. So Messi, Messi's Argentina. Yeah, Neymar's Brazil. Portugal's uh, Ronaldo's Portugal. Yeah, and sometimes these players take up so much room within their teams, maybe even like just in terms of the narrative that it takes away from the team aspect of things. It takes away, you know, sometimes from the other players because. It's like they're no longer, they're just kind of co-stars. Yeah. You can't sometimes take the initiative and be like, all right, no, let me make this mine. Even though I don't think Messi is as bad as the others where he wants to hog it, I think he's just that much better than everyone else. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. seem like the one spotlight. All right, Croatia's midfield is out of this world. Like oh, watching so them good. play is so like, 
inform like you can learn so much from watching them play because nothing's fancy, nothing is really extraordinary. They just do the, the simple things well. Yeah. Their midfield controls the ball, controls the tempo. Mm. If they need to go fast, they can go fast. If they want to slow it down, they can slow it down. If they want to play a little small passes in the little kind of bottleneck, they can do that. If they need to ease their way out of pressure, they can do it. If they need to cross field ball, across cross field ball, sorry, they can do that. So I think they're a fascinating watch. And I think it's good to have them be there and not because if it was Ronaldo, there's like it becomes like an individual, it becomes like basketball, like LeBron versus KD. Yeah. Football's different. You know? Yeah, that's I think that's why Argentina and Croatia is interesting because both their captains are the star players, but they don't seem to they don't lean into that. You know, like uh Messi, I mean Messi leans into it only because he has an entire marketing team behind him that's so he kinda has to. But like but if realistically the way they play, it's more like we're gonna make sure that we win by any means necessary, whether it means I score or you score or I give you the pass or I do that tackle or I do whatever. Um like for me yeah, that's the thing. It's like for me, it's I'm it goes it goes back to the question of pressure. Who has more pressure between those two countries? Argentina or Croatia? It's Argentina that has more pressure. Croatia, they probably believe that they can make it to the final because they're like, we can do it again. But none of us thought they would make it this far. We just thought these guys are done. They're gassed out. They're old. Mandzukic is gone. I thought Mandzukic is one of the biggest reasons why Croatia made it that far, along with Modric and Rakitic and whoever. But I was like, yo, you needed Mandzukic. But I'm like, oh, Kramaric is a baller. <laughs> Kramaric yeah. is good. Yeah. Perisic, um, not as noticeable, if I'm being honest, but like, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, and oh, I forgot about Kovacic. Kovacic was pretty good. And mm-hmm. yeah, like like you Probably. said, that, but that's what I'm saying. Like that midfield is just, that's, that's, that's why I'm so looking forward to Argentina, Croatia, because it's really about who wins the midfield. It's not so much who has a better D, who has a better forward, is who has a better midfield. Yeah. And it's, and I feel like, if you're a fan of technical football, that's the match you should be watching. Yeah. Of like who wins the midfield. And so yeah, so I'm I want to see Croatia win. That's my that's where my heart lies. But I love the I love the Argentina fans, huge fans of the fans. And uh how would how would you find Morocco France? Morocco Um I uh it sounds this could be misconstrued as like a bad statement, but mm. it feels like it's an African. Have a lot of players of African origin, <laughs> yeah, which I, you know, I'm very happy about. Yeah, uh, and Morocco, of course, obviously is the, the last team standing. So technically, I could say that whatever the result, I would be happy. My heart says that I would like uh, Morocco to win simply because to see an African team in the final. Would be surreal and would be a dream come true. In terms of what they can actually do uh, against France, France is something else. Yeah, they have so many game wins. They have, and unlike Portugal, uh, they have the experience in these big tournaments. Yeah. No disrespect to like Manu, but like Bruno Fernandes plays for Manu. He hasn't had big tournament experience like that. No. You know, like getting to the latter stages of the Champions League, getting to the latter stages of like 
the Euros. They do have like Ronaldo and Pepe, but a lot of the team is the new guard who play yeah. games sometimes where they are very domestically, like, you know, Bernardo Silva, yeah, uh, Cancelo, but France have like winners who've won big stage and often been the reason why they've won. Like, mm. if you think about it, Kingsley Coleman scored a Champions League winning goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mbappe has scored a World Cup winning goal. Griezmann, did he score in the last World Cup final? He did. I think it was at a heat. No, I think it took a free kick and it led to an old goal. Oh, yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, Giroud is France's all-time top leading scorer. So there's like that much depth. Yeah. Varane has won everything over like twice. Yeah, literally. And also like the players that are younger and don't have that experience are often side by side with someone who does. So it's mm-hmm. like a good mix. And even if they're not like certified winners, they play for big clubs. Atletico, uh, no, AC, Mateo Hernandez, even though yes. he kind of lost his mind against England. Yeah. Upamecano, Kunde, like, you know, these are, so, Morocco, it's going to be the best and greatest test of what they have. And Chouameni is like, you know, bossing it for Real as well. Yeah. He's kind of slipped into that Pogba, but maybe with like less of the creativity, but Griezmann has taken up that mantle of being like a creative force. Yeah. So, I think that when you get to this stage of a big tournament, I think like Canada, um, that's another example, but on a different level, experience counts. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you have experience in this tournament, if you have experience with like expectation and people looking at you like, yes, 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 yes. I think that that might be the step too far for Morocco. That's my intellectual thing saying, my heart is saying. Yeah, I, th- I think, I think that's fair. Um, especially that size is injured. So without size on D, it's big that's a player captain. Yeah. Big miss, big miss. Especially when you're coming up against a power. Like, how are you supposed to defend that French side that's coming at your full tilt with those players? It's yeah. well, what do you do? You know what I mean? Like that's like a legitimate question I have. I'm like, what do you do? Because you have Mbappe that you, if you stick to him, he'll beat you on a foot race. He destroyed Cal Walker on that one-on-one foot race towards the end of the England-France game. And I was just like, and I remember the commentator was saying like, that definitely hurt Cal Walker's ego right there. You know, because like Cal Walker is quick, but then Bappin made him look like whatever, bro. And yeah. and also Giroud, who's just, like I said, who's just like Raul, just finds those pockets and he's a big guy too. And you give him that half a space, you're, you've already made a mistake. You know, and who usually plays on the other side of the wing for France? No, Griezmann's Dembele. number Dembele. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. He's having a good tournament. A, a dribble master. And you, that's another guy. You can't give him space. And if you, if, even if you step to him, he wants you to do that because he'll just find a way to dribble around you. And exactly. it's, I mean, it's inside, outside, right foot, left foot. This French right. team is stupid. It's stupid good without Benzema, Pogba, Conte, and whoever. Uh, yeah. I, I think this, I, if I'm being honest, I think this France team, if it's a France-Argentina final, who's going to take it? I think it's France. I think so too, but that would be a game because France kicked out Argentina, Argentina last time, quarterfinal. I remember that, mm-hmm. that goal, the 1-2, Giroud and Mbappe, and Mbappe scoring finally. Pavard, oh, that, uh, the right goal. The volley. The right, yeah, the, the volley. Ooh. So That's there's history there too, you know? That's what I'm saying. And it's um Messi playing in Paris. You know, oh, Murray hasn't played in Paris a long time. Paredes as well. 
Yeah. So uh, there's, there's a lot of the narrative would be very interesting to see unfold. Ah, uh, yeah. What uh, happened in the final? But then, like, if it's Croatia Morocco final, who do you who do you give it to? Who who do you think is gonna win? I think Croatia. Croatia, just because I think if they get to that point, I think just their sheer experience, mm-hmm. we'll see them over the line. But then again, if Morocco manages to beat France, then maybe they will have gained enough confidence over a shadow that I still think if it had to be Morocco, Croatia, I think it would be Croatia. And yeah. if it had to be like Morocco, Argentina, Messi's, uh, sorry, Argentina's. Yeah, I just feel like whatever team has the more experience in the final to withstand the jitters and the, yeah. the you know, the nerves, I think they would make it. Or, and, oh, sorry. Yeah, or, uh, right, well, finish your thought. Oh, no, and as like, uh, lest we forget, Argentina also have, in recent history, a uh, World Cup final. That's true. And like, what I was thinking, oh yeah, that's 2014. Um, or it's a 2018 rematch final, France, Croatia. That'd be so strange. That'd be so strange. But then, it'd be interesting if Croatia won that second game. It's kind of like a boxing match, you know what I mean? It's like, you win the first, uh, you win the first be, fight, yeah. I win the second fight. Can't wait for that trilogy, the third fight. You know, it, but it's like then you create a new proper rivalry between Croatia and France. Again, super random, but for whatever yeah. reason, it'll be yeah. it'll be fun. And then it's also Croatia only has like four million people versus France That's that has beautiful. like sixty or forty 60 million or something. And it's former like world power. I mean, still like, it was formerly like one of the biggest and largest empires the world has ever seen. Yeah. And it's uh, no, it, it's true. And I think my question is, and what makes a Croatia different from, let's say, Senegal or oh. help me think of another nation, or uh, or even India? That, yeah, like what exactly? Yeah, thank you. Like. You can't tell me that, or even China, because you know China have tried to become good. No, they they failed, but they tried. They, but you know, like just the soft power itself would have a lot of. You know, they 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 they're not naive to what that would do as a statement if China were to win the world. Yeah, you know. So I wonder, like, what is it? Is it just a question of resources? Is it just a question of, you know, like? So also, I'm curious about that for Canada because we've qualified now first mm-hmm. time in 36 years um, not the showing that we wanted but we still have a lot to be proud of yeah. the next World Cup we're qualified so it's like how do we become more of a Croatia as opposed to a Senegal or an India yeah. like Senegal I'm only picking on them because they're a footballing nation that has a lot of great talent mm-hmm. but just never manages to kind of click overcome the expectation you know yeah I think I think it's geography, to be honest, because like if you look at Croatia, small country, but they're constantly playing against the best teams in the world. And if not the best teams in the world, they're constantly playing against the second best teams in the world. You know what I mean? So like in any friendly or Euros or Nations League, they could be playing Italy, Spain, Portugal, France, England, Netherlands, Germany, Austria, whoever. Uh, like or even Serb, Croatia, Serbia can be massive. But like you, you're playing against these countries that, at club level and international level, they're constantly playing against each other. It's kind of like, do you know that book, um, Guns, Germs, and Steel? So they're explaining, yeah. 
like the whole theory, like theory, what I think everyone accepts it now is that why does Europe dominate the world at, at some point in history? And one of the main reasons why is like when you have such intense competition in such a small space of land and everyone's always competing against each other, everyone's trying to one-up each other. So you're going to get the craziest technology, the craziest tactics and techniques come out because everyone's trying to one-up each other, right? With whatever resources they have available. I think the same is applied to football where it's like you're constantly playing against Imagine playing Italy and it's, you know, you're going to be playing Italy at least twice a year. Like that alone, you're going to have to step up. In the case of, let's say, China, their local powerhouses is Korea, Japan, Australia, which are, as we've seen this tournament, gave everyone's Korea, Japan are better than Australia when it comes to soccer, if we're being yeah. very honest, just way better. The Australians are just bigger and just bigger dudes. <laughs> yeah, they cow- just, yeah. They're just bigger and like they just have a different set of physical uh, attributes that East Asians don't have. And but it changes the game. Whereas, uh, so that's why China will, that's why China they pump so much money, but it didn't work out because you only have Iran. Oh, I forgot. I should really mention Iran, but Iran, Korea, Japan, and Australia to compete with. But that's four. Whereas Croatia has a wealth of countries to compete against at any given time of the year. And then with, with Canada, oh wait, let me put Canada aside. Let's go to Mexico. This is all my theory: is that Mexico should have won a World Cup by now. It's they should have. But if Mexico was part of Conmebol and not Concacaf, I think they would have won. Because imagine Mexico having to play Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Venezuela, Peru, Chile any time of the year. Like you're gonna create. You're going to create a crazy football system to compete with that. But really, they're competing with the United States. That's it. Maybe Honduras. Historically, right, yeah. Now we're Costa. part of the picture, but historically, we weren't there. Yeah. No, that's it. So, like, I still think Mexico has a potential to win the World Cup. I really would love to see Mexico win the World Cup. Like, that's kind of like one of my little fantasies in my head. I was like, I would love to see that happen. I think what Canada would help... Canada will have to learn how to grow on its own, and that's the hard part. And a lot of our growth will have to be to export players to Europe. Like that's the only way we have to do it. Like we can't say in MLS, we got to go to Europe. And John Herdman wants that. But what definitely helps if the rumors are true, uh, Fabrizio said he posted this rumor, which I think there's a validity to it. Is Canada is being invited to the Copa America this coming summer, and if that is true. That is what Canada needs to constantly be invited to these big, high-profile tournaments like Copa America. And if Canada does well at Copa America, it's like, oh, okay, they were just legitimately in the hardest group of the World Cup, which had Belgium that no one thought they were gonna shit the tank like as they did. Yeah. And then you have two semi-finalists in that group yeah. who would be semi-finalists, and Canada who hadn't played World Cup in 36 years. Unfair for Canada, but they did show a respectable uh, performance. Like maybe not against yeah. Croatia, but they were respectable. It was a respectable view where everyone's like, okay, there's 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 potential here. They need yeah. time. So that's my theory. I was like, this is why I don't feel bad for some European countries that don't do well because I'm like, bro, like that's maybe that's a matter of like the organization's corrupt and it's not really doing this. Like I don't feel bad for Greece at all. I don't. Because you should be here, Greece. Like yeah. us growing up, Greece being part of the global stage was just a normal thing. Yeah, true. And also, like I played against some 
Greek soccer players, and some of them I find very annoying. <laughs> like they're very proud, which is fine. I'm no no disrespect to that, but it's just like your country's not good enough. It's yeah. not good enough anymore. You don't reach the AAA standards. You're Double A now. Yeah. Ooh. But that's true. But also, it's not their fault. The economy has been garbage for how many years now? So it's like, how much money could the country put into football anyway? So, yeah, no, it's it's really true. And I really like your your point about like having overall competition and how that kind of makes you a better team or a better organization, better federation, and yeah, that kind of seeps into the whole thing, including the team. Um, and I think that, yeah, Canada being part of Copa America, which I read about too and got really excited because I think South America has probably like the toughest thing to qualify. Yeah. For, like I think only a few teams compared, qualify. It's only like to... one group and that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's wild. You know, it's... the teams that are in there, Colombia's not here. Luis Diaz didn't play this World Cup. Uh, there's another team. Uh, Peru. Like, you did... know, all these teams, that you, Peru, Chile, like teams that like, when you play them, you're like, whoa, these, these, these guys are playing. Yeah. They might not be the best teams on paper, but look at Ecuador. They're very respectable oh, um, yeah. in this World Cup. And, you know, they have one guy who scored three goals by only playing in the group stage. Mm. So I do think that us playing in the Copa, by the way, where's the Copa going to be? Because I don't know. We might have to go and, and check that out. Oh, you want to do a field trip to South America? I think I think it's only right that we do that as probably yeah i hope i hope it's in argentina imagine going to the bombonera for an argentina game oh wow messi's last hurrah his last Ooh. dance probably yo oh my god okay yeah uh let's make it happen yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. make it happen you heard it here first we booked it uh, or, or even if it's a oh, i don't care if it's even colombia i don't care i don't care what country it is maybe not venezuela Honestly, i was gonna say bro like bolivia i'd be happy to go anywhere dude. <laughs> no so, so that's a very interesting point that you make because um, I heard 10 years ago that China was positioning itself to become the biggest football powerhouse in the world. It hasn't happened. No, it and failed. you look at a country like Uruguay that has only 4 million people, but then as you say, yeah, who do they play against every time they get on the field as a national team? Yeah. Brazil, Paraguay, Bolivia, Argentina, Chile, Peru. So it's like every game, is, and also because the neighbors are strong, it, the stakes are high too. Yeah. You know? And it's like you have to show up. And so I think, yeah, geography is an interesting factor. I, I, I think we kind of sleep on that because it's such a global game. Like, for example, in Africa, this is why I feel like Africa has so much, as a continent, has so much potential because it's, look at all those countries that always make the World Cup. It's always West African countries, you know? Africa is a huge continent. So West African country to play East African country, I feel like that's a logistical nightmare to deal with. And the also... People don't think about it, but... It's people, huge. People have this notion that it's a country. It's 54 countries. <laughs> but that's what I'm that's saying. a lot of countries. But that's it. And it's like, so Africa, its issue is it's so big. How do you even get all these countries to play against each other? So all those competition kind of become what I've seen localized within specific regions. So North Africa and West Africa. And yeah. if you think about, let's say, again, the geography and transportation, Europeans tend to go first, North Africa and West Africa, because that's the easiest part to get to first. So if you're thinking about um, doing friendlies in Europe, if those countries have an easier time getting there. So you have East Africa that kind of doesn't have that access. They have to look towards Asia, and that's not really viable, if we're being honest. And South Africa is on its own, and they should be better, but they're not. 
uh, they have the money and they, they they have no excuse. South Africa, yeah. I, I mean, perhaps the best excuse is corruption, which you know, uh, I I feel like that's too much of an easy scapegoat for anything African. That's like, oh, it's just corruption. And it's like, yeah, but that exists everywhere. But you know, that 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 is a very good point. But I think, you know, one point that makes it, or one instant that made it very clear that, uh, just the sheer logistic nightmare of it all, is uh, the. Af- the Afcon that happened, not this one just now. I forget what that was, was but Cameroon, Egypt. Ah, yeah, yeah, Egypt. Yeah, a lot of the games, a lot of the the stadiums in the earlier groups um, were empty, and people were like, "Oh, this poor continent isn't able to." Da, da, da. And it's like some people were like, "No, guys, it's it's like already it's very expensive just going to a a game, but then just getting there, it's not like it's easier for." It's easier for some countries to go from wherever you are to mm. Europe and then fly down to Egypt. Yeah. You know how crazy that is? That's ridiculous. the continent to come back to it. So a lot of people wanted to go to the games, but it was a logistical nightmare to get there. So just like, no, let's not bother. You know, like, what's the point? So once Egypt wasn't in there anymore, I think the final was Algeria-Senegal and Algeria won. So at least those two countries, not too far away. Mm. So they can kind of get there. Algeria, of course, is, you know, neighbors of Egypt. So, uh, so I mean, that's when I, I read a lot of pieces on like, hey, guys, this is just, of course, there's disposable income and, you know, not having the, uh, the means that some regions of the world do have. But it's just really also difficult getting there logistically, just flights, just something as basic as that. Yeah. So no, so geography definitely has a lot to play. But, and, but it's funny, when we watch the game, we never think of that. Who wants to go and... Talk about oh yeah the proximity. Yeah, we're just like, nerds. We're just nerds. <laughs> but I mean, like, if if I'm because I love to approach football and in from grassroots people playing it to like the more organizational bigger structures, I love approaching it as like a social scientist because that's all I that's all I know how, what to do from my educational background is how to be a social scientist, and that's so how I see it. I'm like oh it's to me it's clear is. If West Africa is so good because you have Nigeria, Cameroon, Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, well, I'm already blanking out. All right, so you have Ghana, Ghana Togo, like some yeah, yeah, Togo, Angola. Once in a once in a while, Angola will yeah. pop up, and then already that's already seven, and they're already like those are good matchups. And then within West Africa, you can perhaps even include Morocco, Tunisia, maybe Algeria. And it's already that's already good matchups. Those are good games. Mm. So you have this concentration of people who are just constantly playing against each other, and then all those players play in France, England, Belgium, wherever you know, yeah. and they just get better and better. Or yeah, you know. So I, that's this is why I think uh, this is why I'm excited for Croatia because I'm like you are a result of years and years of years of just. High level competition. You go like the Soviet Union collapses. You have no money. Yugoslavia collapses. There's a war. There's too much yeah. disruption. And then 30 years, you make it to two semifinals, one final, and now a semifinal. You have one of the best players in the world. You have a generation of talent that grew out of that trauma. And you, you know what I mean? I'm like, this is why I love Croatia. I'm like, you are an oppressive story. You shouldn't be here, but you are here. Because, yeah. well, like it seems like 
Balkan people have this mentality that scares everyone where they just they don't stop. They're like, no, there's like this, this not arrogance, um, this um, determination where they're just like, I'm going to get what's mine. And that's why I, this is why I love the Croatia story. I'm like, you, very interesting. And Morocco is kind of like, oh, we're pulling it off. <laughs> we're doing it. We're, we're doing it. You know, yeah. not, not to disrespect the genuine tactics and talent that they have. But it, with Morocco, I get the feeling of like, let's just keep having fun because we're not supposed to be here. We're, we're, we're fucking up the script. I love to see them. I keep making this joke, but I'm like, they're going to beat France because they're, they're, they're just beating all their former colonialists. Yeah. <laughs> they're just going down the list. They're like, okay, we got Spain. We got Portugal. We're getting France next. Who's after France? I guess themselves, but like, you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah. As a friend of mine commented that uh, it's the Moorish takeover part two. <laughs> the Iberian Peninsula once again. Oh my God. You know? so, yeah. Again, that tells you that we're, we're history and some nerds. I could totally but, see like right wing nationalists in France using that rhetoric because I can see, like, see what's happening. It's like, wow, oh, it's there's like, a right wing uh, nationalist guy who congratulated. Giroud and Didier Deschamps and no one else. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what am like I... Legit. Congrats, les bleus. Didier Deschamps, Olivier Giroud. Oh. Chouameni, everyone else. Mom's the word. So, like, I wonder what happens if like Mbappé scores like three goals and Chouameni scores. He's going to say, allez les bleus. That's it. No That's it. name dropping. But you but... know, my, my worry about Morocco is that they're very solid and kind of low-lying block and, for example, I remember watching some highlights from the Portugal game. Portugal was crossing a lot. Mm. And Portugal was not playing fast enough to kind of destabilize that block and playing kind of nice intricate passes mm -hmm. to kind of break down the barriers, like, like to, you know, to, to break the lines. Yeah. They weren't doing that nearly as fast enough. But what I like about this French team is that they're, like a, they're kind of like an experienced boxer like mm -hmm. a, who goes in with a game plan I can see what you're doing and go, okay, let's adjust. Yeah. You know? Um, so I feel like if they need to play on the counter every now and then, look at their wing and look at someone like Griezmann who can put the ball in their feet and look at uh, Chouameni who can do that for you as well. Mm. And Rabio, Rabio is like one of my biggest blunders. I hate it so much. <laughs> when he first got on the lineup, he's bossing it. But so my worry is that Morocco play one way and they play very well. Against Spain, Spain was like the easiest game for them because Spain just passed the ball around oh, yeah. and didn't do anything with it, right? Yeah. Uh, they had no speed to their play. They just kind of passed it around, thought they would tire Morocco out. Morocco was like, you guys keep the ball. We'll stay structured. We'll stay disciplined. And you're not going at us, so you're not going to break us down. Mm. And it helps to have a really amazing keeper who's also having an amazing tournament. But now my worry is that I think a team like France, unlike Portugal, and unlike um, Spain, can adjust, can, and then Belgium as well, because Belgium also had this one game plan of, I don't even know what their game plan was. I don't think they knew what their game plan was. But I can see France just looking at the game and adjusting and being like, okay, all right, we know what to do. A few players might even be able to call it themselves. Like Mbappe might be like, all right, I know what to do now. Let me get closer to Giroud. Let's play almost like a 4-4-2, yeah. where like, He's the pivot, and I'm... Because you know he doesn't like to be the pivot himself. No. So with Giroud, he'll never be the pivot. Mm. He might just play closer to him, and then the defense gets tighter, and then what do you open up on the side? That's it. Fucking Dembele, 
who can kill you. Bappe might also maybe run out there. Uh, Theo Hernandez is crazy. It's just like, I can see them getting, you know, tactically a little bit outdone. Yeah. It's going to be a real test for Morocco. But I think Morocco yeah. at this point, they're just happy that they made it this far and breaking that barrier to like, we're the first African country to make it a semifinal. Like that's, uh, as a Korean guy, I'd be like, welcome to the club. We were the first Asians to make it a semifinal. And, True. Uh, you know, it's nice. Turkey. I think that's... Turkey did it. Like as a, not I'm it, saying Asian, but like yeah. a country that's not supposed to be there, quote unquote. Yeah. Turkey and Korea kind of... Turkey had a crazy 2002 tournament where everyone's like, well, what? There's Turkish players doing rainbow flicks over Roberto Carlos. They're like, what is happening? Apparently, Roberto Carlos got upset and just like blatantly fouled him. He's like, don't do that to me. And I'm like, <laughs> but yeah, it's but that's it. It's um, I think that's I, the one thing I love at the World Cup is that I love how Asian countries and African countries, we kind of look at each other like, we hope you go far. Yeah. Because we're always on the periphery. So we all look at each other. It's like, we hope you go far. Like the Ghana-Korea game, I think is to this day the most entertaining World Cup game I've seen in a long time. It was crazy. That was so good. Even I, I love how they get. Uh, I have a friend who he's he's from Ghana and he hates it the way when we say Ghanaian. He's like it's Ghanaian. I'm like okay. <laughs> I was like, but I, I like how even the Ghanaian players were just like, that was an incredible game. Like <laughs> they were like that was a good yeah. game. That was fun. I, I really like that one. But yeah. Um, but yeah. So. So who do you think is final for you realistically? Uh, France and Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? Croatia, France. I want to rematch. Croatia, France. I want to rematch. I, mind you, I've been wrong about everything this week. <laughs> I thought Canada was going to go to the round of 16. Me too. Uh, we all I thought did. Morocco would, might be the one to be sacrificed in the group that I wanted to go through. I thought yeah. it would be, be Canada and uh, Belgium. Nope. Look how wrong I was. Nope. Yeah, the two we were all wrong. Yeah. Um, I thought Neymar and Brazil were going to go at least to the final. Nope. Imagine if we had a Brazil-Argentina semifinal. Dude, that's apocalyptic. That's really they apocalyptic. It for us. It, 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 for us. It, yeah, just football would end. They're like, it's over. <laughs> yeah. Um, Neymar versus Messi. Ooh, wow. But even even Portugal-Argentina, I was like, that's a sign. That's another sign of the apocalypse. It's like, it's just, how can you top that? You know? Yeah. Unless it's like a Norway France final, it's Mbappe's last World Cup, Holland's last World Cup, but they're still monsters. And like that's the only way I could see it topping that, you know? Oh. Yeah, that's a long way coming. No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> qualified first. Oh yeah. But, but anyway. how about you? You said you you said Croatia France. Is that what you're hoping for? Or is that what you think is gonna happen? I, what I'm hoping for is a Croatia Morocco. What? Okay. Something tells me Croatia's gonna pull it off against Argentina. Like something like yeah like something generally tells me the way they played against brazil i was like oh you guys have this mentality that no one in this i've not seen this in anyone in this tournament like i'm not even just talking about technical or tactical there's just this there's just the state of being that they have that i feel like no one in this tournament has whereas like do you know what was that term lizard mentality i'm not saying they have that but it's like they're just pure will making their way through. And some people say, like, well, is will enough? But I'm like, when you have that type of thinking, you're going to make something happen. You know, that's a hustler's mentality. I'm not saying Argentina doesn't have that, but it's, it's, 
it's really uncanny when I watch this uh, Croatia team. I was like, oh, these guys don't give up. They don't give up. You disrespect them the slightest, you're going to be paid in full. Yeah. You know, that, and yeah. they're always, they're always within, they always keep themselves within reach of winning. Yeah. They never really lose the plot completely. So even when they concede, it's, it's crazy when they concede that there seems to be no panic. No. There seems to be this belief that, okay, until no, the very last second, we still can win this. Yeah. Um, I guess that's what PTSD does to you. So, <laughs> not worried about football games. Like, come on. Whatever. Like, yo, bro, you know like my house is being blown up when I was a kid. Yeah. But yeah. But anyway, <laughs> that's a that's a bright note to end it on. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ganji, thank you for pulling through. Uh, uh it's always a pleasure, bro. Next episode, uh, we're gonna have our friend come on. Uh, well, you're coming back on for that one as well because I think it'll be a good conversation, especially his perspective with Iran and everything. I'm looking forward to that one. Sure. And uh, but yeah, so to everyone listening, uh, thank you for tuning in. Oh, Ganji, do you have anything to add or last parting um, parting wisdom? No, I'm just happy that after all the controversy, the World Cup before the World Cup started, um, I'm happy that now we get to see the reasons why we still love the sport. Yes, you know? that's so. I'm happy that the football is as amazing as controversies with polarized. Yes, I'm going to quote Yvonne de la Victoire. He keeps posting on a story. He's like, football, football, it's feeling. Football is a feeling. And I'm like, yeah. man, great, great tagline. I like that. It's a good, it's, a, it's very true. But anyway, to everyone listening, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for being an audience. Uh, and I hope we'll do another episode after the final. Oh, uh, to all listening, we're having a Derby House viewing party at uh, Cat Origin Microbrewery or Four Origins Microbrewery in Point St. Charles. Uh, come through. Tickets are free. You can go online and get those tickets. Uh, if you if you live in Montreal, I'm going to be there. So come through. Games that kickoffs at 10. I'm going to be there as of maybe 9 to help set up. But yeah. But anyway, that being said, uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you for being an audience. And from Montreal, this is Soccer Pilgrim. Thank you. Mm-hmm.